Welcome to episode 10 of the Strength for All podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Reposh, a.k.a. Johnny Reps Fitness. In today's episode, I talk with Tracy Canfield. Tracy is a personal trainer and online fitness coach who owns and runs Med3 Fitness. She's also a coach for IIFYM.com, and she is a female figure competitor. Today, I talk with Tracy about the topic of minimum effective dose. What is it, and why is it probably super important to your training? Here we go. Now, what I want to start with this podcast is I want you, Tracy, to tell me who you are, tell the viewers who you are, give us a little bit of a background of your training and your educational history. You have the floor. I am Tracy Canfield Milliken, and I have been doing fitness and nutrition for about eight years. Um, I started out um, as a runner and um, I don't like running, so I stopped doing that. Um, and I found um, clean eating when I first started um, doing nutrition. And I was, you know, one of those people that just wandered around the gym and didn't know what they were doing um, until I found some really good programs on bodybuilding.com. My favorite one is by Jamie Eason. Um, and through that, I developed a good base of muscle and then um, got into competing. It wasn't like my goal to ever compete. It just happened that I developed a good structure to be able to compete. And so I decided to compete because I followed a woman online and I loved her and I wanted to meet her and she was going to compete at the show that I did. So I uh, signed up and um, I've done well over the last few years. I think I've competed in eight different um, events, um, usually placing in the top five. Um, my very first show I won. Um, so that was a really good confidence booster. Um, so I have been doing fitness and nutrition, um, like I said, for about eight years. Um, um, most of my clients, if not all, are all online clients. So I've been doing that. Um, and I worked for ifym.com. Um, and that's really where I got a lot of my experience working with a multitude of different people from um, just different populations, um, anywhere from someone who needs to lose 50 pounds, you know, down to somebody who wants to compete. So I have a number of certifications. I love learning. Um, so beyond certifications, I really listen to a lot of podcasts um, to help develop my, you know, my knowledge. And I'm like strength for we, all, right? You listen to that what's one. What's that? Like strength for all. You listen to that yeah. one, right? Yes. Well, you know what? I lean towards a lot of uh, evidence-based um, podcasts and stuff. And so. For me, you know, I have my NSAM, I have a um, NAM certification, um, which is in nutrition and um, physique transformation because I am a competitor, a bodybuilding competitor, but I can also prep clients. Um, and as a figure competitor, I have prepped clients from the point of nutrition, exercise, made their suits and taught them how to pose all with them being distant. So, um, I've done all that. Um, yeah, I have a, I also went through shredded by science. Um, and that's out of the UK, um, did their year long program with, um, 
you know, Eric Helms, Mike Zorro, some of the bigger names in the fitness and nutrition industry. Um, and then like NAMS is um, managed by my my prep coach, um, Tyler Mayer, Mayer and um, Joe Klemzinski. I work with him as well. Um, so that is my big overall scope. And um, most of my clients are women around my age. Um, so um, midlife, uh, need to lose weight, families, moms, busy women. Um, I do have some male clients. Um, so I love working with everybody though. So quick follow-up question. You, yeah. You've competed. What divisions did you compete in? I have only competed in um, uh, figure. That's my, my uh, division that I like. I have only competed in the MPC, um, and since I won my first show, that actually most of my shows that I've um, won, that qualifies me at a national level, so I've competed in regional and national shows. Um, this year, if shows ever start, um, I will be competing in a natural show because I've always been a natural competitor. Um, I just don't like to take anything, even aspirin. So, you know, Sasha's me. And I, and I did have a follow-up about your, when you said you liked evidence-based podcasts, because I, yeah. I do too. Um, do you, I'm going to throw some on you. Do you listen to barbell medicine? Do you know about barbell no. medicine? No. Okay. I they think. are fantastic and probably my favorite podcast to be honest. It's, it's now granted it's very dry and it's probably not for people who aren't very, very interested in like evidence-based stuff because they are like, yeah pure evidence-based so like every single client i've ever referred to this podcast hates it <laughs> so, let me do because they're like ah oh, even my wife is like she's like his voice is so is so monotonous <laughs> and i'm like i love it i think i think it's like the greatest thing in the world i would say my favorite podcast um like right now um is iron culture oh yeah eric. i listen i listen to iron Cul yeah. eric comes and omar yeah, like they, like sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, did they just say that? Yeah, no, I, I love their podcast. I love the 3DMJ, um, Revive Stronger. Um, all, yeah, I, it's, I have a huge list, but Jug you know, Life? one of the- You ever listen to Jug Life? No. Uh... That's another one. That's uh, Chad Wesley Smith and Max Ada, I think. Uh, it's more of like a, a, a general strength train. It's, they have, they do lots of topics though. They do like general strength training topics. Like, for, but they do, I've, they did one on jujitsu. Um, they do a lot of Olympic weightlift. They're big into Olympic weightlifting too. And another one, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank right now. What other podcasts do I like? Oh, uh, no, stronger, not... stronger by science. You ever listen yeah. to that one? Yes. Yeah. Well, of course. Cause you know, yeah. Eric and Omar make fun of them. Um, oh, right, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I love all those. Um, for my clients, one of the very first podcasts that I found um, that is phenomenal is Food for Fitness. Um, and that's Scott Bapti, and he has phenomenal um, information. And, and basically, it, it's like not centered around one thing, like, you know, with the evidence base and stuff like that. It's a gamut of different things. So, you know, if you're a runner and you wanted to know about some running or whatever, they have a podcast on that. Um, and Scott is really good at that. Li nice um, flow to him and stuff. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time. I think that that is the best way that you learn is not necessarily from a book, not necessarily from a certification, but people that are really in 
the trenches of doing the research and um, things like that to really build your skill set from, you know, Eric has got the math and then I also follow James Krieger with uh, Weightology. So I really um, benefit from the work that they do to um, expand my knowledge. So you said that that food for fitness, I think that's a good that I've never heard that podcast, but that might be one to check out for people who aren't necessarily as into the nitty gritty stuff. Right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's more accessible to regular people. <laughs> right. Exactly. OK. Well, uh, consumable for the general. Yeah, yeah, because they don't he doesn't talk in, in a way of like um, the evidence base. I mean, like there is, you know, under underlying about macronutrients and he's talking to you know, different um, people, but like, you know, he also has done an interview with um, Chris from The Biggest Loser and talking about, you know, people that were overweight and what was the breaking point to get them to really um, commit to their weight loss. So I like the the bigger picture, you know, of talking about psychology and things like that, because I think that that plays a, an important role in whether people are successful um, with meeting whatever their goal is, is that that mindset piece of it. Absolutely. So I wanted to get into what we're here to talk about today, and that is what is called minimum effective dose. So I've obviously, I've heard of this before, but your take and your ideas behind this is kind of the structure in which your entire fitness mindset is centered around, right? Correct. So yeah. I just I just want to ask you and go over for everybody, what is exactly minimum effective dose? So the the basic and, and most minimal level of this is minimum effective dose is a term that's used in the in the medical industry, and basically it's what's the smallest amount of of something that you can do to create the biggest impact. If we try to do more, then that's not going to be effective. If we do less than the minimum effective dose, that's not effective either. So we're looking for what the minimum effective dose is for any action. So for me and my company, Med3 Fitness, um, I went ahead and named a company Med3 because it incorporates the mindset, exercise, and diet, which is also minimum effective dose. So there are three pillars to um, really making changes in your life and it comes down to you know what is one thing and i always tell my clients this what is one small thing that you can do today to get one step closer to your goals and it doesn't have to be huge because what we have found is when you take one small action that creates a foundation and then additional actions come from that because if you think of it this way if you choose to make a healthy choice for a meal then the next best choice might be another healthy meal. If you start exercising, then you sometimes you're in a place where you're like, okay, well, I'm exercising now, so I want to eat healthy to support that. So really with building on to the, what is this, the one small thing I can do today? And it might just be, I drink a glass of water because that means yesterday you didn't and today you did, and now you're more aware and you can start building on to that. So I was thinking, would you say the minimum effective dose is basically anything that's greater than zero? Yeah, Would definitely. You? Yeah. <laughs> Taking action, right? Just an action that helps you get there, you know, whatever that is for, for where you're at. Because you know what? It, it, it could just be that, like, I didn't lay in bed all day. We've got to look at, like, where the positive is. Every I think that 
too many people will focus on what didn't I do and what did I do wrong and things like that. Whereas if we like reframe how we think about these things. So maybe I'll have a client check in and they'll say, well, I screwed that day up and I'll be like, well, let's, let's say not that there's a problem, an issue, or I messed something up. Let's say, well, if there's an area of opportunity, what can we do to take action and make a change? Because if we're always looking at the positive rather than these negative words, that's going to help us get closer to our goals and that's going to shape change for us. Yeah. And I, and I'm always like, nobody does everything right. And the more things I do wrong, the more opportunities I have for improvement. Yeah. Well, and it just makes you more aware, you know, um, not everybody. I mean, like, I was I was talking to a client yesterday and um, she's very frustrated with the way that she was tracking her food and she's like I can't get this right and I go you know what I'm an experienced tracker and there have been times where I have logged some food wrong over and over again like ate the same food for like every meal for like six months and logged that food wrong so I'm like it's the best of us we'll um, see things like that. And we get so experienced in a way, sometimes we're blinded to our own um, areas of opportunity. And I was like, at the end of the day, it comes down to being consistent. What can you be consistent about all the overall? Because one of the things that I learned with, um, you know, following Eric Helms and really finding the muscle and strength pyramids when I first started out was adherence. Adherence over anything. Doesn't matter what you do, can you adhere to it? Because that creates success. When I talk to clients, specifically those who have like higher level goals, and I, I mentioned something like minimum effective dose, what they think is like, you're being lazy. Or they yeah. think like, you know, that's not going to work because it's not extreme enough. Or even people who may not have high level goals, people who just want to lose some weight, they might think, well, I've tried everything. Why is doing the minimum going to work for me? What would you tell right. somebody like that if they're in that situation? Well, you know what? I always like to look at like, okay, so you've, you've done all these other things and you've gone hardcore and you've made these extreme changes, but that wasn't effective at all because here you are back where you started at. So if we just create small goals and help you reach them, because we, you know, we talk about how, how long it takes to uh, implement a new habit. And so, you know, there you say 20 to 28 days. So if we start with that, what we can, what I like to focus on is fantastic job. You, you know, you logged your food and, you know, I have clients that are new to macronutrients because most of my clients ma count macros. And I don't think that's for everybody, but my clients that I work with uh, generally do count macros. So when I see somebody come in and like their macros are just all over the place, I'm like, okay, what's one thing we can do? Like, really, just like you tell me what's one thing you can do. And it could be like, let's just focus on protein. I'm like, great, this whole week, that's all we're going to focus on. Because once you get one thing down, then other things become super easy. So I try to say, you know what, all the things that you've done before hasn't really worked. So let's just try something different. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, like, but I think that once they find that, you know, creating those small habits, do work, then they're, they become on board with the, you know, the direction that you want to take them in. Yeah. And, and would you say that one of the reasons why this is so effective is because it really focuses on incremental self-improvement versus like 
being hardcore doesn't really take into consideration anything having to do with where the person it currently is versus like this using something like minimum effect to like to me it's like such a no-brainer because it's like this is guaranteed to work because you are recognizably incrementally and measurably making these specific changes versus like i'm just doing everything right right i think it can also be looked at it from the perspective of you know i always i correlate like nutrition to finances and it's like you know you wouldn't not save five dollars because you want to save a hundred and if you can only save five at a time you wouldn't just be like nope i can't do it uh, you know you do those steps but I think it also correlates to, you know, how you train. If you go into the gym, you are not guaranteed to go pick up a 50 pound dumbbell and be able to curl that sucker. But maybe after years of working on that, you know, that exercise, you get to the point where you can curl 50 pounds. So it's always about progressive. You know, we look at progressive overload, you know, in, in all things. And that's a, you know, that's a term that not a lot of people understand, but I'm like, well, you know what? We did this one thing. So that's progress. So not every client that I do work with, um, even though nutrition is important, do we focus on you hit all your macros? It's what did you do great this week? I'm like, fantastic. Look, your fibers right in check, you know, because if they feel like they've got to do everything all at once, Failure is about to set in because they get overwhelmed, they get frustrated, and who who wants to continue on that path? So for many of my clients coming into me who have never tracked macros, who haven't been tracking nutrition for a while, we start with where are you at? Just log your food. That's all I want to do. I want just want you to log your food this week. Let's do an assessment because sometimes you just need that assessment before you can move to the next step. Um, and yeah, some, some people that's a struggle because their number one goal, weight loss. I want to lose weight. Well, if you're not in a position because you don't even have the foundation, you know, how are you going to put windows in your house if you don't even have the foundation in place or the walls up to be able to do that? So we really need to get the plan together first and implement the foundation before we can start doing a lot of other things. Yeah. And I think one thing that people always miss with that progressive overload thing is it is progressive overload. It's not just overload. It's like you progress to overload, right? Yeah. Not like you're just always overloading, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, and I feel like that's one of the biggest walls that a lot of people run into is like, they immediately go into overload and then they're overwhelmed and they can't do anything. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, for, I find that the probably the most experienced people who have been training for such a long time who haven't worked with a coach or have gotten that guidance aren't in that place of overload because when they come to you for coaching, they're already maxed out on cardio, they're maxed yep. out on training, they're maxed out on everything, and then you have to go, okay, well, we're going to cut back that training. They're like, no, I need all this training. I'm like, no, that's a bunch of cortisol and fatigue and things like that. So I find that if you're able to explain to them why it's not a good for them. And, uh, you know, I also look at tools, you know, they're all tools. So this is a good segue into what I wanted to talk about, which is next is, you know, if you have a higher level person, like if someone who's listening to this is like a higher level athlete, or, you know, if you have a client who's a higher level athlete, 
and that person is like, well, why would I do minimum effective dose? It's not going to be effective because it's minimum and I need to be like really extreme to get results because I'm a really high level. Well, yeah, exactly. Because even if the highest level of athlete, there's still, you know, you got to think of it like a power lifter, you know, they are trying to lift at their maximum effort. But if they went into the gym and they lifted maximum effort every single day, they will not be able to progress because of their central nervous system being fatigued from all that volume and stuff. And that's why you were, you know, that's why there are programs that have different blocks of training. You've got ones that like put you in a, like a deload. You've got ones that are high volume. You've got ones that are maximum strength. So having all of those different parameters in place are important for really um, that recovery. So for a lot of my uh, high level athletes, um, I will tell them, look, you need to add some yoga. You have to have a rest day. You can't be doing this. You know, all this work is just fatiguing you. And if you really are tracking how you are progressing, you'll find you are not progressing at all. So, you know, let's back off of it, give yourself a break and then, you know, get back into it. But I think that it's about moderation. I came from the place where when I first prepped for a competition. I was working out six, seven days a week. I was tired. I was cranky. I was, I was mean to everybody around me and it was a good place to be. But now, you know, many years down the road, you know, max five days of training, um, minimal cardio. So that's the other thing is um, I've transitioned over the last few years of understanding that cardio was not necessary for weight loss or getting there. Mm -hmm. And that came from working with a female client of mine who's lost 40 pounds walking. Like I couldn't get her to do anything else. All she wanted to do was walk. And I was like, huh, if she can lose weight by nutrition and walking, other people can too. And so um, for myself as a competitor, minimal amounts of walking, just step count. I'm very, very big on step count, especially right now with people being at home. Um, because we put a lot of emphasis on that. I, I actually had a bet with one of my friends. I think this was 2014 or 2015 that I could lose 20 pounds while with doing zero cardio. And I hope he was listening to this podcast because Tanner, you know who you are. And that <laughs> happened. <laughs> I lost, I obviously lost the 20 pounds without doing any cardio. And that was kind of the point for me where I was like, yeah, I don't need cardio. I still do yeah. it sometimes, but it's a, cardio is not necessary for late weight loss. And if you have someone who you, you know, if you're doing cardio this many days a week and you're training this many days a week, I've had a lot of people ask me, I need more training sessions. I need to train more when I start them out on like a three day per week program. And it's like you, there's a lot of other things that you could productively do toward your fitness that are not necessarily another workout. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And here's a, I think that one of the things is there's too much emphasis on the, exercise and what value it has in your ability to lose weight. Um, I think that people more generally believe that they have to do cardio to lose weight, but in reality, they don't. Um, And I kind of give it to them like this. Um, When you explain to them as a male or as a female, how many calories they're really burning when they're doing the cardio versus if they like decided to clean their house and you know what that replaces, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to clean my house because I got to go do an hour on the treadmill. So now you've spent an hour on the treadmill, burned a couple hundred calories. You could have cleaned your house 
and had a clean house and burned roughly around the same amount of calories. So I strongly recommend for my clients, if you don't like being on a treadmill, you don't want to do the, like you don't want to do any of those traditional cardio things, do things you enjoy. If you like to dance, dance. You got kids, go to the park and play with them. I'm like, I have little kids. They're exhausting. So like do the things that you enjoy doing could be yard work, could be cleaning your house and take that into consideration. So for me, I really focus on step count um, because one of the things that, you know, what we're finding right now is more people are home and not aware of how much they are moving. Um, so when they're trying to figure out, you know, their calories for weight loss, they're basing it on their exercise. And I, I, I'm always like, okay, well, so you were awake like 15 hours today and you worked out for an hour, but you sat on your butt the rest of the day. How many calories do you think you burned in that one hour versus if you would have just got up and moved around a little bit? Yeah. So we really have to be paying attention to, you know, what does our overall day look like? And um, really just focusing on how can we move more? Very, I think that's uh, really well said. What I wanted to talk about next was we are big fans, as you heard from our podcast recommendation, of evidence-based information and evidence-based practices when it comes from training. Why do you think it's so important and how do you implement such things in your own practice? Go ahead. So I think that um, the evidence base is important because of the fact that we are learning new things all the time. I mean, there is a lot of information and I, I, I always go back to when I started out um, in fitness and nutrition and like you go to the gym and you know, the, the first thing we think about is, oh, we want to lose weight, but we want to build muscle. Well, you know, that, that's different calories. Um, it's also training. How do we do training? You're always like, is this the right training? Should I lift heavy weights and do less reps? Should I do less weight and do more reps? Like, what does that train? And I think that across the board, a lot of that stuff could be very, very confusing. And in the fitness and nutrition industry, there is a lot of people out there who are just giving out horrible information and mostly from your big marketers who are trying to get you to buy products to lose weight and stuff and so for someone who doesn't know anything about that where you get suckered into that you think that keto is the best you think paleo is the way they go you think carbs are bad and sugar is going to kill you and and all of this thing so it's important to have like a base understanding i mean like even the most basic thing of like why do all diets work calorie deficiency. Right. We've learned that because of the evidence that's out there. We learn, like I, there was a woman who posted something about um, doing intermittent fasting and why it was important and stuff. And then she's like, based on this study. And I went and I looked at the study. Well, the study was done on diabetic patients and all the studies that we referred to this specific thing about the fasting was on diabetic patients. I said, just because you can find a study about that and you can have a correlation does not make it a causation. So I'm like, you've got to be able to look at this, this information. And I think that, like I said, weightology and mass are phenomenal resources to really break down some of that. Um, as far as how I implement it, um, you know, just building my knowledge. If I understand what good practices are, 
on how to apply nutrition or fitness, then I'm able to um, be able to guide my clients better. Um, and it helps me with my only own awareness because I do my own strength training. So I need to know what's the best way um, to do training. Um, and, you know, that's the other thing is, is some things we just don't know. Um, and so you try to listen to the best resources and you pick your dogma that you believe. And so I have my dogma. I have my group of individuals that I listen to, like the Eric Helms and, you know, um, the people that are putting out good information and breaking down some of those barriers. I, I, um, I try and avoid dogma. The only dogma yeah. I like is my uh, my dog's mother. <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> no, but I think one of the things is like, I think it's a good thing to like actively challenge your biases and like actively try and seek out information that's different from what you might think. And, and one of the things that you said about were, you know, the industry at large, like the largest, if you look at, because if you look at like the, the nice little corner of the industry that you're, that you're in and the kind of the corner that I'm kind of in it looks pretty good because you got guys like, you know, Eric Helms and like, you know, Mike Isriatel and guys who are like very evidence-based in the way they do things. I mean, even if they're not perfect, they still, they do things that way. But if you look at like, who are the people with the most followers and the most influence in the industry who have like millions of followers and such, they're, they're terrible. They're not evidence-based at all. Right. Yeah. So I think like, it's, it's just kind of one of the things that I want to do with what I'm doing on this podcast is bringing information to people in a way that is more understandable to regular people and maybe at least a little bit appealing to them. So because that stuff is obviously the reason why it's it's so popular is because it's more appealing than Mike Isriatel's bald, shiny head or like <sighs> Eric Helms's extremely lean physique <laughs> coupled with knowledge. Right. You know, but I think translating that to people who aren't who don't find it attractive and finding ways to just put that out there that people will actually consume it is really important i don't think i'm good at this at all myself personally but i would strive to be better at it yeah well and that's the thing is you know what uh when i first you know they uh, some people talk about when you get in the fitness and nutrition industry that you should find your niche and I tried to find my niche and then I was like, oh, my niche is me, me, the person who likes the evidence base, the girl who's going to the gym. And then I was like, that's not who I work with. Right. And there's a, you know, there's a clear distinction about what fuels you and excites you versus what you pass on to the clients. And I will say that um, I have been part of other people's um you know, presentations and stuff. And they've talked at a level that was evidence-based, but talking to a general public. And I have worked in the um, technology segment for such a long time that I learned long ago, you don't talk to the um, executive the same way you talk to, you know, the secretary or, you know, or the people that you work with, that's a bad thing. So you wouldn't talk to right. the people that you work with the same that you talk to, you know, the executive, you've got to explain it in different terms. Although, and I although think my, that... my wife does work with this one guy, shout out David, ah. <laughs> but he, he talks to everybody exactly the same way. And I think that is an absolute, that makes him an absolute gem <laughs> to be well, honest. Cause, cause I hope so... it's consumable. <laughs> but, but what you're saying is, and I, and like, it's it's totally true. You got to you got to know your audience sometimes and I guess I'm I'm still kind of finding my audience, but I would like to be more 
you know, because I feel like that's really the people who can actually benefit from fitness the most is the general public and the people who aren't really interested in it outright because they have the largest potential to actually see significant changes in their lives through implementing these things. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, we just become a conduit between the good information that we're, you know, that we're consuming to be able to share that in a consumable way for, you know, the general population. Because, you know, Joe at the gym who's jacked, who's been doing training for a lot of years is not your client. He's not the client you're targeting, not the one you were. He's not the one that needs you. It's Betty. You know, she's the one that needs you who's been dieting and yo-yo for many, many years that you can make the most impact. And and like you said, with evidence-based podcasts who talk like more down to earth, like I will listen to podcasts like that just to kind of, because they'll be like, I know every single thing they're talking about. Like I know and understand what they're talking about, but I will listen to the podcast just to kind of educate myself on how to communicate those things better to people. Yeah. Um, I, if you've not listened to Jeff Nippard, Jeff Nippard is phenomenal when it comes to the, yeah, he is phenomenal when it comes to the explaining things in, in terms that you understand it. Um, but he throws in all the evidence base. And I think that that beyond like following, finding Eric, when I found Jeff, Jeff gave me that, that really that um, bridge between just fitness and nutrition knowledge to understanding how important the evidence base was because all the first videos that he put out was like, Hey, you're going to do a lap pull down. Let me talk to you about where you put your hand positions and why you put your hand positions. And here are the, all the, you know, the, the studies that go with it. And I'm like, dang, that's solid. Like that's how I want to train with that knowledge. You know, what's funny is I have not really found many because I kind of have like a specific way in which I would like to convey information and I haven't really found many people who kind of put it out the way that I that I like putting it out like I kind of have my own not that I'm like special in any way but I kind of have I feel like there's this kind of like ethereal I don't know how to pronounce that word there's this no it's not that word it's it's actually a different word it's it's like out there in the ethereal like ethereal ethereal i don't know there's like this thing out there that i can't quite put my finger on i can't quite hold that i feel like i'm so close to being able to communicate in that way that's like not just evidence-based but also like appealing to people and i would and i feel like there's 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 such a space there for opportunity in the industry that's not fully capitalized on and I yeah. just like figuring out how to do that is like probably like my going to be my life's my entire life's journey. <laughs> well, and I and I think sometimes you fall into things, you know, is, you know, if you keep focusing and keep working on them, then sometimes things just fall together. I would say that where I am at today, I would have never thought that I was where I'm at today. I've had a lot of opportunities. I've reached out to a lot of people that are names within the industry and try to align with a lot of things um, that they have done or, you know, made myself aware of because I think that that, you know, helps us grow as people. Um, and we yeah. got we to gotta figure out how do we get all those people who are interested in like the booty workouts to actually care about evidence-based training, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or like, how do we well, get people who are like not interested in fitness at all? 
Well, you know, that's the, that one was one of the ones that was killer was, and this is why evidence-based is so important because I don't know if you saw the study that came out just slightly a little bit before um, everybody went into shutdown, but it was the difference between, hey, doing the group, group bridge and a 140 degree um, uh, squat and how the squat at 140 degrees provided better activation than doing a hip thrust. And all along, we've been talking hip thrusts are keen for developing the, the glutes based on EMG activation and stuff. And then it just turns out that all these Brazilian ladies that they did the study on do the squats and do them at 140 and are getting phenomenal glute gains. So, you know, that came out of evidence-based work that, you know, and if you don't follow that, you're still the girl who's over there probably doing the hip thrust, I thinking know. that's giving her all her booty gains when she should be like, I'm going to go over here to the squat and see how much I can squat here. Well, well, I never, I've always had people ask me how I build my glutes. Not always, but I've had quite a few people. No, serious. It's weird. I know most guys don't care about that. Are you around with some tight shorts on? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I got these ones from Lululemon that I really like. Oh, but <laughs> Dude, they have the trainer's discount, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But, but like literally all I ever do for like glute training is like squats and deadlifts. That's literally huh? it. But I squat like super deep. And I deadlift like with pretty high volume compared to what a lot of people would consider deadlift volume. And, you know, it, it works. And I think, you know, evidence base is great too, but also like, and this is, this also ties back to minimum effective dose, like figuring out what works for the individual person and progressing from there, right? Like, even if you're not going to get as optimal of, you know, results from maybe the squat is actually better for the glute growth than hip thrust. But if you do hip thrust with progressive overload and you program them properly, you're still going to get good glute growth out of them. Right. Yeah. If that's the only thing you're doing and you're not doing the squats because you got knee problems or whatever. So really, you know, and a lot of, I would say a decent amount of people that do squats don't do a 140 squat. Hell so no. yeah. You're lucky that, you get 90 out of some people. Yeah. So they're much better at doing probably the hip thrust because that's still development of, you know, but I, I like what you said about the individual because I think that is important um, because while, and this is the, the thing about like when people go out and find these random programs online, one, the person doing those programs might be on steroids. You just don't even know. Um, so you can't just go like on bodybuilder.com and follow like Phil Heath, you know, oh, program. What do you mean, might? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to happen. I'm like, you're not going to get that growth because of, you know, thing. But the other factor is, is your own personal genetics with your family and stuff. What works for Billy might not work for Bob because his genetics are different. So they could follow the same exact program, doing the same volume, the same lifts, and, and one might get better progress out of that than the other one just based on genetics, genetics alone. Because I will tell you, everybody's like, oh, just lift heavy. And that's, I'll be like, you know what? If my squat is like 250 and I'm squatting low and I can't grow legs and I've been doing this for eight years, yeah obviously that's not the right training for me. Like I'm still trying to figure out certain body parts to train appropriately to get the best benefit. But I think it does come on an individual basis. I, I was just going to interject there is I, I don't want to, you know, 
kiss their ass too much, but barbell medicine is, <laughs> they actually talk about this quite a bit, that the, just the amount of variation from individual to individual in terms of response to training is absolutely enormous. Like, if yeah. you look at these studies, it might be like the average person I, I, this might I don't know if this was even this might have been the exact same study you were talking about where like the average person got better growth from the squats but the person who had the most growth overall might have been the person doing hip thrusts like the number one responder was someone who was doing hip thrusts even though the average was for squats so if you're a high responder to hip thrusts and all you're doing is squats and they're not working for you like that's stupid you got to individualize your program well and there's other considerations that you've got to think about like you know, we focus on the training, but what, like, I keep going back to what do you do outside of the training? If this person, all they do is like do training and then they, you know, their models or something like that, that lifestyle looks different than, you know, Bob who's at home, who's on his computer all day and then tries to go to the gym and has low glute activation because he's been sitting on his butt all day. I mean, that, those are things that you have to take into consideration. And I think, when somebody really wants to have that a massive, you know, changes in their body, they work with a coach. Because what we're going to do is we're going to start picking apart things that they're not aware of. You know, like if somebody checks in with nutrition with me, I'll say, okay, what I'm seeing here is low fiber. There might be a sodium issue. Um, what about the proteins you're eating? And like, I will like dissect what they've sent me as far as data is concerned, they don't look at it that way. And like a big one, scale reading. Like people are like, the scale's up. I'm so sad. And I'm like, what? It's data. Like here are your 15 pieces of information. You better do the checklist first before you check in and say what's going on because you've addressed these 15 things. So I think that we have to look at bigger pictures, but coaches help you dial that in. You know, they, they have the experience. We're like the cheat sheet to get you closer to your goals because we can't expect you to know everything that we know. I mean, that's what we enjoy doing is learning about these things. What I wanted to go to next is Tracy, you are a competitor. So you've done figure and you're currently in prep for another, another figure competition, right? Yeah. Whenever it comes, I don't know. What, I want you to explain, like, what are you doing for prep and why should people not do this? Oh, <laughs> Because yeah. I, I remember we were talking before and you were saying, like, you you don't want to do it. It's hard. It's, I read your I one do. article you did. You were saying, like, yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so, yes, I'm in figure prep. I have been in figure prep uh, since the first of the year. And when I say that, it seems like a very long time, and it is. But that's only because I've like slowed it down a little bit in in with this whole like COVID thing. So I've slowed it down. So um, just to give some kind of backstory, um, last year uh, I started my prep in June. I also started perimenopause. So I started prep. I was working out for three months, um, and after three months, I had only lost three pounds. I had went from 2,500 uh, 2, calories down to 1,200 calories, was training, doing cardio every single day and lifting five days a week and just fell asleep all the time. I was so tired. I was so angry. It was miserable. And I said, I, I told my coach, I said, okay, I've done that. I'm going to stop right now because 
understanding previous preps, knowing it shouldn't have been that hard to get like no progress. Um, and so I had to address some of those things with um, going into perimenopause and stuff. And so that's one of the biggest things that I, it's the first thing I check when I get a client that's around my edge, I'm like, are you in perimenopause? Because look, we got to talk about that first. Because a lot of people are like, if you're in a calorie deficiency, you should lose weight. Yeah, I get that. But I'm telling you from experience, that is just not always the case. There are just yeah. different things that you have to consider. Well, we know it's the choke so, point, right? But it's like, you know, there's so many other things that go into the equation. It's kind of like saying like, huh, you don't have enough money, just make more money. It's, yeah. like, it's, not, it's not that simple, right? Exactly. So for me, what I did was I backed out of prepping um, in August of last year and I went to my doctor and we uh, put me on supplementation to address the symptoms of perimenopause. And then I took the next couple months bringing my calories back up to like 1800, which is where I would have started anyway with, with uh, a prep. And with the addition of the supplementation, I just started losing weight. So about, I would say about February, I had dropped like five or six pounds. So that was like, hey, it's happening. Let's do this. So then I reached out to my coach and I said, okay, let's, let's prep me. I'm probably 10 pounds away from show at this point in time. And so we set me on the schedule to be competing in April and then that show got canceled. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, oh, well, you know what? I don't have to go hard. I don't have to get super lean right now. So then I kind of just ate a little more for a little bit. And then the next show was June. So I was like, okay, it's go time. So I started doing a little more activity, paying attention to steps. And then they canceled June and July shows. So I don't know when the next show is, but my typical weight is about 145-ish. And I'm sitting around 123-ish. And right maybe five or six pounds more to go to get lean, but I've got like vascularity everywhere, super lean. But the other thing is I'm older now and what my body looks like now compared to when I first competed is completely different. Loose skin, not as tight of being like Lee. So it's a new experience with what that looks like. So I train at home. I'm not going to the gyms. I have a gym at my house. So I train or try to train five days a week doing, I do upper lower body splits. Um, actually, you know, I do push pull legs. Um, so I do back and bicep shoulders um, on one day, uh, chest, triceps, then back shoulders the other day. And um, then I'll do leg days and stuff. Um, and then cardio, no, no, absolutely okay. not. So, you, so you're, you're in prep and you're not doing any, well, prep for a nebulous date that may not happen, right? Yeah. It's, it sucks. Cause I know I, I actually had a, a strongman competition. I was supposed to be doing in April that got canceled. And then, you know, who the, who knows when the next one's going to be, that's actually going to happen. So, but you're still doing no cardio and prep. Like look at how much weight you lost and look at how lean you are. And look, you don't need to do cardio to do that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's the thing is, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not doing traditional cardio. I'm not on the treadmill. I'm not 
bike, stairmaster, anything like that. Like I have all the equipment, but I don't want to get on it at all. Um, it's boring. It's a waste of yeah, time. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I listen to podcasts when I do it. I even have a desk treadmill that I could walk on while I work during the day, and I don't do that either. Um, but what I do do is I pay attention to my step count. So if I want to start the weight loss going a little quicker, because like, I, you know, I get to that place where I'm like, I don't have the like drive because why drop five pounds at this point in time? If I don't need to, that means I can eat a little more. Yep. I'm not tired, fatigued or anything. So um, I'll like kind of step off of making sure that I'm like on the, the steps and stuff. And so when it's go time, then I just amp up steps and try to make sure I'm getting in 10 to 12,000 steps. So that means effort. So I do, I do put effort into it, but if I'm not like hardcore into it, then I'm like, Oh, 6,000 steps today. I'm good. You know? Um, and then that doesn't become a priority. The other thing as far as cardio is concerned is I am just active. So you know what, if I want to go out for a hike, I'm going to go out for a hike. If my friend is teaching Zumba and I want to do Zumba, I'm going to do that. So it's not structured cardio at all. I don't have like two to three days of cardio. It's just like, hey, I felt like doing that today, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I call it no cardio. And I kind of like, I mean... I look at like what's really the value of cardio for me and my goals, right? And I really think everything you do in training is like set to your goals. And if it's just, it's it's not very valuable for your goals. It adds stress. It adds fatigue to have like, you know, doing some high intensity intervals. And if you don't want to do it, what is it really going to hurt you? Especially if you're, you got everything else in, in, in line, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is, what if you decided you were going to go out and run and you pulled your hamstring and then you couldn't do your strength training? That's yeah. super suck. So I'm all about like not doing anything that affects my ability to strength train. I'm not trying to get a PR right now. I'm just like exercising and trying to maintain the weight, but uh, the strength and the muscle and stuff. So, but I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause additional fatigue. So that's another way how I explain to clients about why they should choose the the type of training that they're going to do because if they're doing a lot of hit cardio or whatever and then they're not able to optimally strength train i'm like look you're negatively affecting something that can be the, like the biggest benefit for you so you know consider that and so i always ask when people come to me and they're already doing cardio i go do you like doing it no stop you know yeah. <laughs> like really we don't need that so i'm not against cardio i think you know, I think that it's been utilized or put too much emphasis for weight loss, but cardio is just to improve cardiovascular health, so heart health, and you can certainly do that with walking. So I don't, yes. I don't feel well, a need to do any of the other stuff if I don't have to. Well for said. Sure. And we'll, uh, we'll see if and when those comp that competition happens. And same with, same with the strongman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll be excited to hear about your strongman competition. I I am too, but who knows? <laughs> so, yeah. if you were to put kind of like a nice neat bow on just summing up the podcast, summing up your your thoughts on uh, minimum effective dose, just for in closing, uh, I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head, but lay it on me. Uh, well, you know what? When we look at the things that we can change, 
and wanting to see progress, we should always choose the minimum effective dose because minimum effective dose, like I said, creates that foundation. And we can focus just on nutrition. We can focus on exercise. We can focus on mindset. But doing something gets you closer to your goals. And I always say to clients who just give me some wishy-washy goal of like, oh, I want to lose, lose 10 pounds. I'm like, that's a great wish. Where's your action plan? What are the things that are you going to do to get there? You can't just say, I want this if you've got no action behind it, because you'll still be wanting that months down the road because you didn't say, well, for me to make that happen, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's how we, we get closer to our goals. So minimum effective dose, while it doesn't seem like a lot, makes big movement in overall when you're trying to reach your goals. So yeah, I love the minimum effective dose. I mean, like I even, I even practice it myself. I'm like, if my fruits and vegetables are low, I'm gonna be like, oh, today I had an orange. I like oranges. I don't know why I don't eat oranges. Now I have better calcium today. And now I have vitamin C. So now I've affected my health. So I didn't even have to do anything. I just ate an orange, you know? And it, looking at from that perspective, um, you know, I also think it builds confidence and wins and positivity because if that's, the only thing I could do and I did it. Oh my gosh, I'm winning today, you know, because I could definitely focus on all the things I didn't do. So yes. build yeah. momentum. And remember, it's a lot harder to knock over a house with the foundation than it is to knock over just a stack of bricks. Yeah. So anyway, thanks so much for being on my podcast, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Seriously. Thank I do so because yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. I just appreciate that you're here. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate um, you letting me just ramble on about fitness and nutrition, which I love. And if anybody wants to uh, check you out, what's your social media links? Um, I am med3fitness.com for my website, and I'm med3fitness on every single handle of like YouTube and um, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Facebook, med3fitness as well. Perfect. Well, thanks again for being on. And uh, yeah, this is, I'm gonna, just going to add an outro here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to cut it off at that point. Like I'm just going to ramble. It's okay. Yeah, I'll just ramble off into whatever. Thank you so much for listening to episode 10 of the Strength for All podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. If you want to follow me, follow me on Instagram at Johnny Reps Fitness. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore R-E-P-S underscore fitness. I'll see you all for episode 11 next week. Thank you.